Hello. 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 And welcome to Pioneer's Post podcast. Social enterprise stories and conversations from across the world. <laughs> so scale is one of those buzzwords you hear at every social enterprise conference. But it still feels like actually only a handful of social enterprises are operating at significant scale. Of course, scale and big growth is not for everyone. Some entrepreneurs just prefer to stay small or their model works really well locally, but not necessarily elsewhere. So why is scale so important? A good person to answer that question is the boss of the London-based Scale-Up Institute. So I'm Irene Graham, I'm the CEO of the Scale-Up Institute, which was um, formed by a group of entrepreneurs in the private sector in um, the end of 2015, early 2016, to focus on making sure the UK could be the best place in the world, not just to start up, but scale up a business. We're 13th in the world at the moment at growing businesses, and we really need to be able to be better. And before we go further, perhaps we should just define what is a scale up? What does, how do so you scale up that? is a business that's growing at 20% uh, or more in turnover or employment and has sustained that level of growth over an average of three years. So that's what we determine the scale up. It's very much linked to the OECD definition yeah. of a high growth firm that allows us to benchmark the UK internationally. Yeah. Um, and then when you look at the social enterprise sort of environment and there are multiple different spectrums around mm -hmm. social enterprises, we've tended to focus on big society capital, social venture and social enterprise UK's social enterprise definitions to look at this, this set of businesses. Mm. And why does scaling social businesses matter in particular? Well, I think uh, one of the things uh, that scale-ups are, are that they are across every sector and area of the country. Um, and sometimes there can be a view and misperception that social enterprises our charitable, not-for-profit sector doesn't scale, when in fact uh, it's very counter to that. Um, there is a large number of our social enterprises that are scaling and scaling rapidly. Um, and we need to recognise that we've got, yes, about um, 5.7 million SMEs, uh, but within that there's around 36,500 scale-ups. Now our SME community adds 1.9 trillion to this UK economy, the scale-up SMEs within that uh, actually generate 1.3 trillion of that. And we estimate of the 36,500 scale-ups, there's around 8,000 social scale-ups within that mix who are adding a lot to the UK economy. So it's really important that the public, private education sector um, actually get far more segmented on what our scale-ups need and also what our social scale-ups need yeah. within that who are dealing and delivering against some of the biggest societal issues that we have mm. uh, in the UK and, and the globe. Yeah, and that links to something that you uh, had mentioned previously, which is this thing that um, sort of every business to be successful in future, some people believe that they're going to have to have a social pur purpose. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a very strong connection, I think, between uh, the social purpose mission of a company and its um, ability to grow and scale and I think every business certainly will have to have a sustainability agenda and we see much of that present in our scaling businesses and, and there are many of them that are scaling already and they have particular needs in, able to, in order to be able to scale even further and that's one of the things that our organisation is, is focused on. So late last year the Scale-Up Institute published a report called Social Scale-Ups, High Growth Businesses with Impact. 
and the researchers found that there are fast-growing social enterprises across the country and across multiple sectors. They said that these social scale-ups are really ambitious, so nearly two-thirds of them had grown by 20% or more over the last three years, and nearly three-quarters of them plan to continue that growth. And when you look at the report, um, there are some pretty positive things that jump jump mm. out of it. You mm. said earlier, uh, 8,000 social scale-ups in the mm. country. Mm. That sounds, I don't know, that sounds like quite a lot. There's around 100,000 uh, social enterprises around the country, yeah. of which we estimate um, there's around 8,000 that, that are scale-ups. Um, yeah. So that, that's, that's, that's the balancing there. One of the things we see about those that are scaling up in the social enterprise sector is like their peers who are scale-ups, they are very innovative, they are very international, uh, and they are very much wanting to grow further. So um, these, these 8,000 are the very ambitious, very innovative, very international businesses within the social enterprise sector. Yeah, and so you, you said they're, they're pretty ambitious. Um, in the report it says 8 out of 10 expect to scale up and grow. Um, they're, expect, they're exporting more than the rest of the sector, selling more to government. All of that sounds really positive. Um, in some ways then, are we, is there an issue here? If they're kind of growing at the same pace as the general uh, businesses, are, are we doing okay or what, what's the issue? Well, the, the issue is really that, that in order to sustain that level of growth and allow them to continue that level of growth with the ambitions that they have, there are a series of barriers to a business that is scaling. And in the social enterprise sector, we see those barriers uh, being access to talents, uh, we see them as being, you know, getting the right access to markets, um, but particularly uh, and more acutely than perhaps their peers, there's also access to finance that comes across very strongly from a social scale-up business perspective that actually it's harder to raise finance, whether that be equity uh, or debt, um, and also the understanding of what's available from the finance community um, is less clear to a social scale-up business than perhaps their peers, and, and this is what we wanted to make sure we drew out with this report and we work with Barclays on is actually there is an acuteness around this finance piece. There's a lot of initiatives that have been put in place to seek to address it, whether it be Big Society Capital, the British Business Bank and its Patient Capital Review, some of the private sectors starting to look at social businesses, mm. um, but we need to see more of that happening to address the gap of knowledge and access to patient capital. Yeah, and of course we're sitting here in central London looking out over the beautiful view from, from your office, um, far away from many of these businesses who are maybe struggling to access finance. What? What is the solution or what's part, what is part of the so, solution? So I think some of the things that we've said in relation to that uh, and what we'd like to see more of, there's both how do we use data more effectively, so how do we connect with these businesses more effectively, how are we measuring the investment into these businesses more effectively by working overall together. I think we see the need to raise the education uh, and awareness of um, what finance is available to these businesses and yeah, we're working with the British Business Bank and others in terms of how do we make sure that awareness is is there uh, and better accessible at the regional level. And then I think there's a lot of work being put towards um, how do we close that patient capital gap both with uh, 
British Business Bank, Big Society Capital and the private sector and particularly also the access at a regional level. So um, we'd like to see more collaboration between the finance community mm. in relation to how they co-invest mm -hmm. potentially uh, with the social business sector that is scaling. We'd like to see more of the private sector evaluating this particular sector and looking at the types of um, services they need mm -hmm. um, and we'd like to see that develop at scale. Mm. And one of the recommendations is on this finance point is on trying to bring in more mainstream financiers yeah. so, so it's not just the kind of investors yes. with a social hat on. Yeah. But other types. We of need investors. to see. Uh, yeah, a number of the banks are looking at this sector and what they can uh, provide. Mm. Uh, but we need to see more of that happening in the VC community and the angel investor community. You know, we're at subscale at the minute. We need to, to mm. be more at scale as well as delivering the patient capital side of this. Okay. And how do we get those institutions, organisations, to kind of see the potential? Well, I think there's. I think there's uh, a lot of different aspects of this. Partly shining the light on this sector in what we're doing in this report is seeking to uh, shine a light about the opportunity mm. that's there. Um, I think having case studies of what uh, does work and what's needed, as we've also put into this report, is are really important to give sort of role models of, of how things can be uh, developed. And I think there's an opportunity for the individual uh, providers of finance to, to think as they look at their strategy, how are we going to address the social scale-up sector mm -hmm. as part of our ongoing day-to-day -day plans. We're seeing more and more social businesses created. We're mm -hmm. seeing more and more of them scale. They are inevitably going to need finance. So how does that opportunity relate into the finance community and how do individually financiers look at their strategy mm -hmm. towards these businesses? Yeah. And um, one of the points that stood out to me as well on, on the sort of just needing better data, but one of the things you suggested was uh, more information about when someone has tried to raise finance and it hasn't worked. And yeah. I think there's a temptation also from, from our side to tell the stories about the successful raises. Yeah but who's, who's sharing the times when it doesn't work. Yeah, and I think there's a, an opportunity there. I think there's, there's, there's an understanding of the business side uh, about what is available and raising the demand side and, and the connectivity. And I think there's an, you know, an opportunity to look at how do we connect uh, the business to the right type of finance mm -hmm. and how do financiers connect the right finance in. So, and we need to understand when, it, when a situation of investment hasn't occurred, what was the driver of that? Mm -hmm. It could be that the business wasn't quite ready for the finance and not investment ready, but what's your, what, what level of support is then given to the business to become investment ready? Um, have they got you know, a local scale-up programme they can become a part of? Has there, is there a local scale-up peer network that they can become a part of? All of which things that they value. Mm -hmm. um, and so how are we helping the business through that journey and understanding mm -hmm. um, as much as connecting them to the right capital. Mm. Okay. Is there anything um, for the social entrepreneur, the founder, the CEO, the person trying to scale up a business? Is there any kind of insight or, or something from this research that? Well, I think, I mean, they should be encouraged by the fact that there are many of them uh, mm. that are growing mm. um, and there are, there is a peer group out there to connect with um, yeah. and how that's enabled is, is really important. So there's encouraging, I think, insights about what other social businesses, yeah. what support they've used and how they've gone about their journey and how they have raised capital yeah. uh, and been very successful in it. So I think yeah. that's a really good opportunity to, you know, recognise that um, as a social entrepreneur, there is real 
opportunity there yeah. and there is finance there and there are um, business support uh, uh, activities available to you as well. They can look at the Scale Up Institute website. We've just ritually launched um, a support finder tool which gives you access to information on what particular programs are beneficial to you if you're scaling up. Right. Um, there's lots of different initiatives out there which is quite difficult to navigate mm. uh, if you're in business. But what we've tried to do is identify those that are particularly good if you're seeking to scale. And, and this is that for social businesses and that will generally? In, that's, that's generally for any okay. business that's scaling up, yeah. which includes the social business. So it looks yeah. at you know what's available to help you on your leadership development, what's available to help you on your okay. um, talent development, etc. And I think that's a really useful tool. Big Society Capital is the UK's wholesale bank with a role to create a bigger and better social investment market. And they've also recently published research on the same topic called It's Time to Talk About Scale. The author of this report, Candice Hampson, identified similar barriers to the Scale-Up Institute. And she also highlighted some other things like the limited market size for some social enterprises, a perception of low quality sometimes, and even something called heropreneurship, so idolising the people who start new ventures rather than focusing on what already exists. We spoke to her just after the launch of the two scaling reports back in November. I'm Ken Sampson, I'm an investment director at Big Society Capital. And so you've just done this big piece of research on, on scaling. Yes. Was there anything that kind of came out from the research that surprised you as being more of a barrier than, than you would have expected? In, in, if we look at a really high level, contextually, I think that movement building piece is really missing in the UK, which is... What do you mean by that? I mean, how do we get the general public, like Joe Bloggs on the street, to know what a social enterprise is and make their buying decisions and investment decisions towards tilted towards social enterprises, you know, like, and I know SEUK run by social and like the corporate challenge, but that stuff is less visible than it should be. Um, I think there's so many problems with perception of quality. We can't even agree on the definition. So how can we build a movement when we don't actually all, when we're all not actually pulling in the same direction? Um, and it, with that kind of lack of definition and lack of leadership, I think is really, hinders progress when you're trying to get corporates to sign up to kind of the bi-social corporate challenge or something they're looking for a stamp of approval to say yes this is a social enterprise yes I can tick that box and yeah. say yeah I'm doing a good because thing they might be a little bit suspicious or a bit unsure right and you were talking about the visibility so there are some quite successful examples HCT group which you which you worked for initially yeah um, are there many more like that you know, we've got Just Giving, Blue Water, yeah. Arc, which runs like a massive network of um, academy chains and spins out education ventures. Um, Leaf, London Early Years Foundation. Winnow was a great example. I mean, there's so many, and WageStream is like an insane example. Um, so there are more businesses kind of coming up, but they just, I think, it's actually really hard when we're talking about B2B businesses like Winnow and WageStream that's pretty hard to build a movement around as well yeah. because it's not visible to the average person. So how many B2C social enterprises are scaling up and actually you know, reaching their potential? And then you think actually there's quite a few in the food and drink sector, but they're not getting access to supermarkets and, yeah. um, it's, and we don't really have like a fair trademark or like a 
I don't know, a kite mark that people can trust, like the fair trade mark. Yeah. So there was that whole movement around fair trade where mm. you know people, people make a buying decision. It, we've made it so easy for the consumer. Yeah. See that thing, great, I'm doing a good thing. Yes, yeah. I pay 5p more or whatever for my chocolate or my coffee, yeah. but I know, I'm, I know it's been certified and someone else is taking care of all the dirty work for me. Mm. Um, one of the recommendations in your report is sort of very concrete, which is to spend 17 million pounds um, <laughs> on 10, supporting 10 businesses each year to yeah. get to scale. Um, how realistic is, is, is that? Is that something that we can expect to sort of see happening quite soon? Is that something you've had conversations with people about? <laughs> Not yet. Okay. So if you know anyone with 17 million pounds... <laughs> I'll let you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think I just wanted to make the point that I don't think it's in the grand scheme of things, that's not that much money to get to, to reach that vision. We just need to find people who are willing to fund mm. that. Um, yeah. And I think the most likely targets would be foundations um, who have that kind of capital that right. they can deploy. Yeah. The problem is each foundation has its own kind of niche social mission, potentially, or like issue areas they're focusing on um, that make it really hard to aggregate just a general pot of catalytic capital mm. that we can use to scale up the sector and build that movement. Yeah. I don't know any foundations who are working on the like movement building piece. Lots of recommendations in your report. If there was one thing you wanted people to kind of take from it and what or one action you want to happen next, yeah. say in the next year, what would that be? If we could have something similar to the Catalytic Capital Consortium coming out of the States led by MacArthur Foundation um, that is acting to mobilize catalytic capital, you know, and get it all gathered together so everybody knows where to go to access that. So capital. that's just to explain that sort of funding that's um, sort of oh yeah, sorry. aims yeah. to kind of pull in other sources of funding. Yeah, it's kind of fun. It's capital that takes some sort of non-market standard uh, thing on it, like um, aspect of it. So it could be in for longer. So that's what we call patient capital. It's in for a lot longer term than you would expect, or it takes kind of a lower return for potentially a higher risk. Um, so there's many different ways that you can classify catalytic capital. And I think concessionary capital, which is specifically where you're taking a uh, lower than market rate return on your investment, is a subset of catalytic capital. So, if that helps. Okay. Yeah. Do you get the sense that people you speak to in this space, funders or investors or, or others, are kind of now taking the scaling question seriously, or do you, is it more that people are just not quite sure what the next step should be? Yeah, I think I think there is uncertainty around the next steps, um, and it's unclear who should be leading the charge as well, which kind of makes it even harder to build that movement and. Um, yeah, and I, yeah, I really, I think it would be great to get people like SEUK more funding to kind of do this kind of more movement building. That's their role in the sector as an umbrella body for social enterprises, you know. Um, so that would be, I'd love to see that. It's one thing writing recommendations for how to help more social businesses to scale up, but what's it actually like if you're out there working as a CEO? How do the challenges play out in practice and what do the business people themselves think would be most useful? We didn't speak to a social entrepreneur for this podcast, but we did speak to someone who has lots of years of experience of working with social entrepreneurs and in particular helping them to grow. 
My name is Davy Clark. I work for Impact Hub King's Cross, um, which is a global network of social enterprise support organisations and co-working spaces. Um, we, particularly at King's Cross, we work a lot on scaling and internationalisation. It's a benefit of being part of a global network, but also about um, particular themes. We're looking at food, um, mental health, and we're starting to think about climate change as being the issue of the day. Um, but also we are really trying to look at entrepreneurship, social entrepreneurship for um, people who normally have stuff done for them or to them rather than being enabled to do for themselves. So we want to, um, we want to really expand entrepreneurship to, uh, for example, we're working with a group of uh, homeless people on, on an entrepreneurship programme and also uh, refugees and migrants and we're looking at other groups. So that's almost a different angle Whole on scaling, isn't it? It's another, yeah, yeah. another way of scaling the movement, I guess. I think so. I think uh, entrepreneurship, it's interesting. Um, it means so many things to different people, but often it's uh, a very white kind of hoodie wearing kids um, thing. Um, you know, young, oh, I dropped out of college early to to build a unicorn and actually the social sector isn't so much like that yeah. um, but there's a little bit of flirting with that sometimes around the edges and I think we're really interested in what actually makes the impact um, more deeply and more powerfully and we think that people who are solving problems that they know inherently themselves because they've lived it that's really important um, that have the insights and the connections in the communities and what we're we doing if we're, if we're not actually talking to those people yeah yeah and what did you think about the so one of the things that came out of the research was that talent is one of the kind of big barriers to scale how does that is that something you've sort of seen with the enterprises that you've supported yeah uh, it's interesting that because um, I think people always worry about talent um, I, I don't see necessarily that people have a big problem recruiting as long as um, I think three things happen. One is that they're really clear about what they're trying to achieve and I think um, clarity um, for a lot of enterprises, you know, when you've started something up and you're pulled in 20 different directions really hard. Secondly is, is affordability of talent. Um, all enterprises but I think social enterprises in particular because they want to give the money back into some social good or sometimes they have additional costs because of who they employ. Um, they're, they, um, they're on the edge all the time. So it may not so much be availability of talent in the outside world, but affordability of talent. Um, and I think the third thing is a lot of social enterprises want to employ people from different backgrounds um, and do so very successfully at a small local level. When you want to scale that, how do you actually do that well? So. Um, Often when somebody goes from, um, let's, we do a lot of work with food businesses. If you go from a food business that's producing locally, selling to health food shops and so on and so forth, and then suddenly you get a contract with a, uh, a supermarket, most people would then contract out the manufacturing to a big factory supplier, so on and so forth. But if your social impact is based about employing refugees or whoever it is, you can't do that. So fundamentally, I still believe you're scalable. But it takes a different process to make that work. It's much harder. The management you have to put in place, the structures you have to put in place in your company, is much more difficult. Yeah. So completely different to scaling a commercial enterprise so then in that, in that sense. Commercial enterprise, yes, but also a lot of the things that are most scalable in, in the 
kind of tech entrepreneurship role, which now people think of as entrepreneurship, they think of tech most yeah. often. Yeah. You know, a tech platform, you put the investment in up front and of course you're still spending on improving it, but fundamentally your platform is there and it's all then about sales. Sales, sell, 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 sell. And um, whereas I think social enterprises, some of them are like that, but the vast majority, the structures have to grow in these different ways because they are linked into communities, they're linked into people, they're, yeah. they're connected in different ways. Yeah. And is there is it possible to do are there ways around yeah, that yeah. with the right support? What what does that look like? I think there are ways of doing that and, and you can see examples. I think we, we were talking today about HCT, Hackney Community Transport as they started and they're now called HCT because they're not in just Hackney anymore. Um, and that's all about people, a people-based business. So that's a prime example. But I think what you have to do is you have to think about um, how do you build your culture and your quality when you start having branches at a distance or franchises? How do you think about um, the communications and the systems in your business? So techno businesses have these platforms inherent, but every scaling business needs to then start having finance systems, management systems, communication systems that maybe smaller businesses don't need. Um, and that shift costs money, it takes time, yeah. it, it's a bit of a mind-blowing thing to get your head around. How yeah. do you write operational manuals so that people over the, there are The doing boring it. stuff has come this. It's all the boring it. stuff. Yeah. It's so important. I talk a lot about this, this scale readiness concept. It's really, really important, I think. Um, when the investors that, that we're presenting today are looking for businesses, they're looking for businesses that are ready or ready to scale, but the scale readiness piece is the missing piece that is really hard to fund because I always think of it like build, building the foundations of a house. You, when you drive past a building site where, where these are being built, for ages it looks like nothing's happening. There's maybe a couple of holes in the ground, yeah. but actually there's a lot happening there. There's concrete being poured, there's things being dug, you know, steel being put in, and then suddenly the house goes zoom, the house is there. And that's the bit, the investors would love to just, oh, I'll come in, their foundations are built, and, and that demonstrates to me that there's a real business that's safe for me to invest in. You know, I do my due diligence, it's all working, and then I get to the growth from the house. Um, and we need that too, but nobody's funding the building of the foundations, the boring, hole-in-the-ground stuff that has to happen. Yeah. And I'm really, really passionate about, we need to change the message around that and make sure people hear that and start... You know, government. This is where governments and um, funders, who, you know, philanthropic type funders, who might be willing to put money into that and not see yeah. the return. Without that, seeing that's the house their role. Being so, I mean, is it just about money? Is is that no, the, the kind of? Not at all. Not at all. I actually think. <laughs> I know we just sat there and heard about a whole load of investors, and everyone is fascinated with money. I really think the money thing becomes a distraction because if somebody gives you the money but you're not you don't know how to use it you don't have the right setup in your organization then you then you're stuck so i think you need to i think there are there's a massive identity change as you scale your business so an entrepreneur goes from you know they maybe have five or ten people in their organization and, and they're going up to um 20 to 50 people in their organization that shift is an identity shift for the person who started it up. Suddenly, instead of knowing everything in their head, yeah. they have to document things, they have to trust other people to do it, and inevit inevitably, however much you train people, they'll do it their own way. You have to cope with that and be actually 
pleased about that. You have to think about hiring people. You should hire the best people you can afford and you then give them what used to be your job and just trust them to, to run it. So there's, a, there's some practical but also real emotional changes that people go through. And um, actually it's interesting because I went to another presentation a few days ago which was about scaling um, food community food businesses. And uh, one of the findings from that report was that a lot of the community food businesses didn't grow, but the ones that did, it's because they brought in new management. When they brought in new management, the mindset changed and the unattachment to how it was then seemed to unlock something and shift. I don't think it's inevitable you have to have new management, but there, there is something there about a different mindset shift. Um, yeah. That, that happens. That's really and how important. do you, so that's about sort of the right training and the right support at these different key moments? I think it's, I think it's, I think that's one of the key things and I think so it's, it's that real understanding of what the possibilities are. I've worked, I've worked with one enterprise once, I remember saying to them, um, they, they were doing um, work with schools and I said, uh, how many schools do you want to be working with? And at the time they were working with um, about five schools and one of them said to me afterwards, oh, I knew you'd want a big number. So, so I really gritted my teeth and thought of the biggest number that we could do. And they went, 30? And I was like, 30? Really? That's not very many. And um, anyway, so I was, I, I was then saying, well, what if it was 500? And they were like, what? You know, it's just a whole different way of thinking about it. And now that's totally in their business plan is to, to start doing that. So where are they now? I think they've... Well, I last saw them about six months ago, and they'd beat the 30 target. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, Candice, her mm. kind of suggestion or ambition was to set 100, 100 yeah. scaling, new scaling social businesses in the next 10 years. Does that sound ambitious uh, enough? To no. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, I think if you look in the report, it says five years, because you couldn't remember on stage. But, but yeah, uh, I, I think... Um, well, I would hope that we could, we could do more than that. Right. But we've learned certain things when we're working with... So, so literally today, I'm really happy. We've just discovered that we've got some funding um, to run an accelerator program for food businesses mm -hmm. to help them get into um, working with supermarkets or these big, these big buyers um, the first time. And we're doing some of that work, look, helping them look at their systems, their procurement processes, their manufacturing. You know, how would they, if they got an order that was 100 times as big as they've ever had before, how could they possibly supply it? And what are the stepping stones? And, and on the other side, we've got engagement from, from some supermarkets and uh, catering company who've, who've um, offered to not only provide support and advice, mentoring workshops, but also to pilot things in smaller ways to help bridge that gap. I think we've learnt that doing it sector by sector, by which I don't mean the social enterprise sector, I mean food or retail and then doing other sectors, is helpful because... As in can, working with that chunk of businesses yeah, in that sector. Exactly. Okay. Because you can, first of all, it really helps on the, in terms of the peer group amongst the social entrepreneurs. Secondly, you're starting to look at systemic change from, from both the... Um, social enterprise side and the corporate buyer side, um, you're enabled, you're able to open doors with the corporate buyers around particular themes um, and bring expertise and knowledge around that. So you're actually starting to make change. We've run scaling programs that were sector agnostic, um, and we've 
we've helped people, but it has been harder. We've, we've decided to focus sector by sector. We did an education scale-up program um, about a year and a half ago on a similar basis. Um, and you were saying in this case, the supermarkets are actually, so that thing of them working on a small scale to begin with, that sounds like yeah, quite an important element exactly. of it. And some are, of course, you know, really open to that. And, um, and some are need a bit more educating, um, but but there is a there is an increasing interest I think in the market for socially good products, and that's an opportunity for social enterprises to make a bigger change. Um, yeah. So presumably, if those supermarkets can start seeing that this phased approach yeah. is successful, yeah. then they'll consider doing it again yeah. next year for another type of. And all sorts sector. of things, like I remember um, I went to a, um, an event where um, the chief executive of Divine Chocolate was speaking and she said, you know, we got our first contract from co-op and uh, we only survive now and are as big as, and successful as we are because they behaved in an illogical way. <laughs> um, and um, what they did was um, Divine was struggling with cash flows, big issue for a lot of businesses. And they rang up Corp and said, "Can you pay us early?" Uh, and they did. A and rare, a rare treat. A rare thing. <laughs> Whereas if you go to some of the big supermarkets, yeah. it's not. It's ninety days before yeah. you get paid. What small business could survive ninety days? Yeah. You know, she was saying, in effect, you're bankrolling the corporates um, as a tiny business. It's not. It's not reasonable. Yeah. So all these kinds of things feed into what makes it work. Yeah. Brilliant. That's all we've got time for today. But we'll continue to explore the challenges of growing a social enterprise at Pioneers Post. Thanks so much to our interviewees at the Scale Up Institute, Big Society Capital and Impact Hub Kings Cross. And you can find the two reports mentioned at bigsocietycapital.com and at scaleupinstitute.org.uk. Oh, and you'll also find lots more coverage of and insights from social businesses on pioneerspost.com. Thanks to you all for listening.